everybody. I'm Amy Milstead. And I'm Mandy Taylor. And you're listening to Indelicates. It's oh, <laughs> so much better. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm really excited. We haven't recorded in a while either. So no. maybe that was the trick. Oh, that may be. Oh, I'm so excited. That sounded pretty good. <laughs> so we wanted to do something a little bit different. I am a little bit obsessed with the podcast True Crime Obsessed. If you haven't heard it, it's freaking amazing. It's Jillian Pensavale and Patrick Hines. Da, da, da. Um, <laughs> please don't sue me for singing your jingle. But I really like it. And if you haven't heard them before, please check it out. Um, they cover true crime podcasts. Like they'll both watch it and they give notes and go back and forth. And you so mean documentaries, we, right? Yes, yes. Okay. That's what I meant. But yeah, they watch these documentaries, they take notes, and then they cover it on their podcast. And I thought the format was a lot of fun, so we just decided for something different that we were going to do the same thing. Yes. And we are doing it with that new documentary on Netflix, Why Did You Kill Me? Which is super intriguing. So I had found out about it um, at work. Every morning I go in, I type in news.com, Google pulls everything up, and they're like, oh, this brand new true crime documentary on Netflix. Why Did You Kill Me? And it kind of gave a little bit, and I was like, I'm not going to read any more. I want to watch this without knowing anything. Right. And I'm so glad I did. It's pretty good. Like, there's a lot of moving parts with it, and it gets... Almost poetic in how yes. weird it is and how it ends up. So, And the time frame that it was in and everything that they did was genius yeah. on the cousin's part. Just blew my mind. Yeah. I'll, I've, um, I find parts of it a little problematic, but you well, know, we'll get there. We'll get there. Nothing's perfect. No. But she was brilliant. Mm-hmm. It is on Netflix. It just came out. So if you want to uh, watch it and track along with this, I was thinking that for anyone who's in our age bracket, which, you know, millennials, Mm -hmm. watching this documentary feels like you're walking through the past of MySpace, Instant Messenger, um, collecting AOL internet discs so that you had extra time on the internet. Do you remember those? Oh, yes. And then the dial up and then you couldn't be on the phone at the same time that someone needed to be on the internet. And it was a whole ordeal. I remember I got my own like phone line, but really it was the internet line and I was allowed to use it when no one was on the internet. Nice. Yeah. I I saw a meme that was like, um, I had a teenager at work today ask me if I ever saw the original PlayStation 2, and uh, if anyone needs me, I will be walking into the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much how I feel about all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, you know, starting games by typing in the green DOS commands to get it to start up. Mm -hmm. Castle Wolfenstein. Oh, I didn't even have any of those. Um, And actually, the first time (laughs) I found out Santa wasn't real when I was far too old. How old is far too old? Probably 12. That's old. 12 or 13. And the only reason I did is because my mom got me the teenage Sabrina the Teenage Witch disc game to play on the computer. But it wasn't working. And I heard her on the phone with people going, I can't just send it back. She thinks Santa brought it to her. Do you want me to ruin oh her Christmas? God. And I was like, oh, okay. So apparently, yeah. <laughs> apparently Santa's not real. But I remember I had one girlfriend at school, Brittany Mannin. And I will t- I tell the story all the time that she was the one she would fight off other kids 
about trying to tell me Santa was real. And Aww. she would stand up for me, and I loved her. She was always such a sweet girl. But that was yep. sweet. Yep, that was that damn game. Made me realize Santa wasn't real. And thank God my son's asleep because can't have that going around. Oh, hell no. Mm-mm. No. Anybody who's around our age will remember the magic of Instant Messenger and oh, yeah. MySpace Messenger. And Do you remember any of your screen names? Because mine, mine changed all the time. Yeah. I'm not I had sure one. I'm prepared to I'll tell it. mine. Mine was <laughs> Pisces Angel. Oh, wow. And then there was one that was cute as a button, Hut. Yeah, cute as a button, because my main main name was Hutton. So those were my cute. two. Cute. Yeah. Um, one of mine that someone had suggested, because my birthday in May, was uh, Emerald Fire 87. Ooh. And uh, the other one, when I was super into Good Charlotte, was JC's Riot Girl. And a bunch oh. of numbers. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Charles and I can dig some good Charlotte. So, yes. Um, <laughs> sipping you back to those days. So, so the documentary starts out in a dark room. There is a table, a model schematic of a neighborhood with all the little houses and cars. And there's an older woman, and she starts telling the story. She's moving these cars around. That it was mm-hmm. the night of February 24th, 2006 at 8.43 p.m. Crystal, Juan, and Justin get into one car. Crystal's mother, Belinda, is in another car, and she is driving in front of them. As they approach a stop sign, a white explorer filled with clown car style with a bunch of boys pulls up and then around and comes back towards them. Belinda pulls out quickly because she figures something bad is about to happen. And Mm -hmm. before anything else happens, a man who is standing by the stop sign fires into the car with Crystal and her brother inside. So the brother looks over and he sees that his sister isn't moving. He pulls away and he drives to a close-by grocery store where it was lit up. It's at this point where we see the grocery store footage of him pulling up really fast. He is opening the passenger side door. He picks up his sister. He pulls her out of the car. He has her on the sidewalk. He's cradling her head and he's holding her. Um, It cuts back to him in the present day talking about like, as he's holding her, his hand reached out, and he felt the part of her head that had been shot, and he realizes at that point, this is bad. Yeah. Um, and it's so and, heartbreaking watching that footage. Oh, my God, yeah. As he's saying it, he just puts his head down, and he can't even keep talking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so sad. And you can see it in the video. It's not, like, a dramatization. It's the actual footage from the grocery store of seeing what's going on and. It almost made me start crying. It's really sad. And then it it cuts back to him in the present day saying, God says, ask and you shall receive. I did. So where was he? He also says everything is according to his plan. What kind of fucked up plan is that? I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And that was her brother, Justin. He was the one who was sitting next to her when she got shot. Mm -hmm. Immediately after that, we meet Jamie, who is Crystal's cousin. She's the kid cousin who grew up really close with them. Um, They seem more like they had a sister's relationship. Mm -hmm. Jamie was like the little sister. She idolized Crystal. She followed her around. You can see how much she meant to her. Anytime she's talking about her, she starts tearing up. Like, it was like her big sister. And how old do you think she was at the time in 06? Because she's 23 now. She was 13. 
She was 13. About to turn 14. Jeez. Yep. And this little girl is a genius. Like, she's pretty bright. She's, she's amazing. So um, Jamie hears that Crystal had been hurt. Um, she goes on her MySpace and she writes a blog about it, like her feelings about it. She says that at home she never cried. Writing on MySpace was like her, her way of getting things out. She would write mm-hmm. blog posts about what she was feeling. Um, so Crystal doesn't wake up. She dies in the hospital. There's a whole lot of home movies and pictures throughout the documentary, and Crystal is absolutely gorgeous. Yes. Really pretty young lady. Um, we see her growing up. She gets lucky at the casino. She wins, like, I think it was $36,000. She starts a business with her new husband. It shows their wedding pictures. They have a couple of kids. It seems like everything is great. Mm-hmm. And then um, Belinda, her mother, tells us that the husband started using drugs and violence again. Crystal leaves him, and she goes back to living with her parents. So we see Crystal. She was a beautiful, beautiful woman. She had a lot going for her. She dies in the hospital. Now we meet Rick Wheeler, who is the most copyist cop of all time. Would you not oh, yeah. agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah. From demeanor to look, he's got the haircut. He has the cheap mm-hmm. suit. All of it, like, screams. L.A. detective. He comes on the scene and the family is like, thanks, but no thanks. Bye. Goodbye. We don't need you. We don't trust your kind here. Yeah. Um, Okay. Did you notice the whole little bit that they talked about the Grim Reaper picture in the precinct? No. So he talks about that he was in the homicide division. Okay. And... He was brand new to it. He had only had one case before this. I remember it was that. Gang related shooting. He never caught the guy. And this was his second. He's brand new to this. And they would have, there was a framed picture of a Grim Reaper. And if you were up next for a case, they'd put the Grim Reaper on your desk so that dispatcher, oh, like, yeah, okay, he's the next one. And then they just moved the Grim Reaper onto something else. It was just. That's weird. pretty morbid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, he goes off to this case. He said he went to the scene of the shooting first. There's a couple casings on the street. There's like an old shoe, the car that's at the grocery store at this point. Mm -hmm. And that's about it as far as evidence. There's really not a lot. Cut to Belinda. I didn't like him. I didn't like him. I didn't like him one bit. So I loved her. She is a character. Mm -hmm. Goes back to Belinda. I didn't call the police if I had an issue. I didn't. It wasn't the police that I called. So this is a neighborhood that they handle their own business. And they're not super appreciative of the cops being there, nor are they super forthcoming nor helpful. Oh, yeah. I think it's kind of messed up that they take the brother whose sister was just shot, Justin, who was in the car with Mm -hmm. him. They handcuff him and bring him into the police station to interrogate him. You shouldn't have handcuffed him. Like, I understand questioning him. Yeah. You also shouldn't have, like, he was in the car while his he sister was shot. He was in the shot. car with him through the yeah. back window. So he gets put into freaking handcuffs after witnessing his sister being murdered and cradling her until she dies. Um, and they bring him in. They're asking questions. Then he, I believe, mentions 5150 is mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a local gang. And cut back to copyist copy cop 
ever. Mm-hmm. Um, he's talking about that they are in the West End in Riverside, which is to the east of Los Angeles. Um, and now we meet Mario, who's a former 5150 member of said gang, and he's talking about what it was like growing up in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, the poor people moved to Riverside. People who can't afford to live in L.A. or Orange County, all the poor folks moved to Riverside, and there was a lot of violence there. And we're yeah. teenagers, and we, we pretty much came up with this gang to protect ourselves. It was like, it was my cousin— other kids that we knew in the neighborhood, and we just kind of got together to, it started as just kind of watching out for each other and having each other's backs. He's like, when we were kids, we were 16, 17, 18. Mm-hmm. We were children when this started, and then it, it started to escalate quickly as, you know, they got older and everything else happened. Mm-hmm. It keeps showing this other picture of them all together like a family barbecue and showing like you know people hear gang violence and you see this picture it's like no this was their family this their yeah. aunts and their uncles and all of these young men like that was their family that was their protection that was their and that's culture. all they knew yeah like when i was growing up i wasn't taught to go to the police officers i was taught to find a biker yep because a biker will always help you out and then you just find the biggest biker ask them for help you'll get helped i've when I was younger, we didn't go to the police officers. Right. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately. The climate that we're in now. Uh, a large population of Americans feel the same way for good reason. But Yes, absolutely. Uh, anyway, um, so Mario's talking about the scene, and this was 5150, the gang. So now we cut back to Belinda's interview as she's saying, look, I saw the gunman. He was just a kid. He was really young. I could tell you exactly what he looked like. And if I saw him again, I would know exactly who it was. Mm-hmm. So they get the sketch from Belinda's description. Um, Detective Rick is looking through binders of gang members. But since she said he looks so young, he starts going through yearbook pictures from the high schools. Mm-hmm. And he finds someone he thinks looks similar. So she looks at him. She's like, yeah, that's him. They bring him in. She identifies him in a lineup. And they start interrogating him. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, this part, video was sad. This kid looks like he's 14 years old. Mm-hmm. He's so young. And he's scared shitless. So as they're talking to him, we know you were there. There was an eyewitness. He's flat out terrified. He gives him an alibi. While they send detectives to go verify his alibi, they're keeping him in the room with the camera on. They must have walked out. This poor kid is sobbing hysterically in this high-pitched, terrified crying with his hands over his face, rocking back and forth. I want to go home. I want to go home. Like, he's Mm -hmm. terrified. With good reason, to. You don't know if he's going to roll over. Like, they're just going to pin it on him because he's, you know, a young Hispanic kid. That or someone in your gang thinks that you ratted on them and the retaliation from someone that's supposed to be your family. Also, yes, that's a really good point. Well, it it wasn't him. Uh, the detectives found, yeah, he was with several other people that night. They were all watching a movie or something. So his alibi is good. They let him go. Switch back to Belinda saying, well, like, they didn't explain to me that if I said one wrong thing and misidentified the wrong guy, that then they wouldn't <laughs> use what I had to say when it comes to court. You can't be 100% sure and then be like, ah, just kidding, I messed up. 
Well, like it's yeah. Yeah, and as you mentioned earlier, if you see um, her, it's pretty apparent that she had a, a history with methamphetamines. And uh, later on in the documentary, she finally admits that she was high as a kite the night of the shooting. Mm-hmm. Just a touch. Yeah. They don't have many leads at all. The motive is real hairy. There's any number of things that could have happened. Um, police kind of are at a standstill when it comes to that. So. Crystal's young cousin, Jamie, decides that she wants to get involved and she wants to help. Fucking genius. I was just blown away by her thought process in 2006. Yeah. So this is where it gets uh, really problematic for me. Not that Jamie was willing to do it, but that, and I get it, like Belinda's suffering through grief, but ugh, this, ugh. Okay, so we go back to Jamie, who's a young mm-hmm. teenager at the time. So Jamie tells her aunt Belinda, let me go on MySpace and get information for you. I can find stuff out about them. She is 13, mm-hmm. about to turn 14. Belinda lets her do it. Oh, she's not. I have, uh, yeah. Pretend to be a sexy older teen woman and talk to a Who bunch of Who likes to party. Violent, and yeah. Uh, whatever. Okay. I'm going to get over myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she makes a fake profile with this party girl persona. Um, she finds a really mm-hmm. pretty girl in like a super girl t-shirt, super cute. And uh, she starts friending all the 5150 guys and going through their mm-hmm. profiles. And she's very methodically going about and building this community. So, oh, she's friends with so-and-so and so-and-so. I must know her. So obviously, she, yeah, she's obviously exactly. she's cool. So she does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Belinda tells her, yep, go ahead, get all the information that you can. As the investigation with the cops continue, they find out that there were two white SUVs that night. Crystal's older mm-hmm. brother, Robbie, had one, and he was parked across the street from his parents' house the night that this all happens. Okay. Another white SUV pulls up behind them like they're checking them out. The SUV zooms ahead of them turns around and pulls up facing them, headlights shining into the front of their car. Yep. Robbie turns on his brights, hits the gas, and he passes around them, Mm -hmm. trying to get away from them. SUV number two turns around and follows him. They go tearing through the neighborhood, and he gets away from them. He goes to his baby mama's house, and then he finds Mm -hmm. out Crystal, her sister, was shot and what had happened yeah so because of whatever reason he didn't mention that to the police that he was there the suv number two is the one that was involved in the shooting of crystal yeah they were just trying Mm -hmm. to keep it under wraps that robbie was the other suv so at least now we know that there were two we know that the other one was robbie and we know that the other the unknown number two is the one that they are looking for the shooter Yes. So they keep looking at the case. A lot of people in the family had their run-ins. Like I said, the boys had been in jail. Belinda was using drugs and selling drugs. Um, she, mm-hmm. <laughs> she references them as mom, mama's little helper <laughs> and uh, meth the devil's dope. And then they cut to these little interview snippets of Belinda and her sister. And they're like, 
well, you know, we did it all the time, but, like, we didn't do it in front of the kids. Oh, yes. And immediately cut to Crystal's best friend who's like, uh, yeah, they tried to hide it as much as they could, but it was, like, super obvious. Kids aren't as stupid as you think they are. No, especially not kids who grow up in certain neighborhoods. Like, they know what the fuck is up. Absolutely. (laughs) I do find humor in the way that the documentary is. They do this quite often where somebody will just say like a blatant fact and then immediate cut to. Yeah, that's not what happened at all. Actually, (laughs) That's not factual. (laughs) No, not at all. So we're not getting anywhere. No. The cops don't have any good information still. They've been interviewing people. Nobody's talking in the neighborhood. They're not following any leads. Um, The party girl fake MySpace account. She's talking to people, but the dudes want to bang her. They aren't giving out much information. She's just yeah. kind of like a ditzy party girl. Belinda then suggests, why don't we use Crystal's p- picture? Crystal was beautiful. Let's make a different profile oh. using Crystal's picture. And rather than acting like a sexy girl, act sweet like Crystal was. Why don't we try to use her since she was the like the sweetest Best person. Yeah. Pretend you're her and see if that works better. Because they figure at this point that she knew these people, but they didn't know who they had killed. And they're thinking that it was probably an accident, that they either meant to get someone else, they meant to get the brother, but they don't think that they necessarily came to kill Crystal. Yeah. So Jamie, cousin Jamie, makes a profile using Crystal's picture, and she names her Angel. And she does the same thing over again, and she friends all the people. And she does look angelic in that photo. She really does. One person in particular takes a shine to Angel. Mm-hmm. The user jokes5150 username, and he starts chatting with her. And uh, Jamie's saying, you know, I'm trying to portray Crystal. I did what Crystal taught me to do. Make a boy come to you. Mm-hmm. So she does that. She just acts really sweet. And whereas party girl's like, hey, smoking dope, let's do this, let's do that. Um, The angel character is more like, how's your day? How did it go? And actually being a nice, sweet person, which resonates with this guy, jokes. Mm -hmm. They start talking all the time. Fast forward to April 12th. I am sober as a judge, and my tongue is getting stuck (laughs) between my lips. Um, So fast forward to April 2006. This is now two months after Crystal's Uh death. Jokes and Angel are still talking every day. Um, They've been telling him that Angel's mom is in prison for cooking meth. They're trying to build up a rapport with him um, Uh where they thought that he would, I don't know, bluster or whatever— Rather than doing that, he was really sweet when he responded, like, keep your head up. She'll be out soon. If you need to talk about it, like, I know what it's like. It's really hard. Yeah, everybody Um, has a soft spot. Yeah, and she was his. He's falling Mm -hmm. for her. Um, Oh, yeah. They they show all these messages that were between them. Um, I've been thinking about you all day. I would give you everything. Nothing would stop me. I've never felt this way before. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is kind of funny to think of somebody actually falling in love with somebody online, except that, um... It happens all the time. Yep. (laughs) 
<laughs> one of my first yeah. teenage heartbreaks may or may not have been one of these. <laughs> um, but, you know, they keep messaging. He keeps wanting to meet her and see her. And a couple times just to keep it going, she would say that she would and come pick me up. And then he wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to come out or whatever. But finally, she's like, all right, yeah, we'll come to the party. Um, if you're going to pick me up, though, what kind of car do you have? And they find out he has a white expedition which is the other car that they've been looking for mm-hmm. so, so they got him hypothetically mm-hmm. so now belinda goes back to the cops back to the detective and she's like all right so this is what we've been doing and cut back to the detective like that was actually really smart um kind of wish she would have let me know ahead of time that she was doing this but mm-hmm. it was a, it was a smart way to go about it so they find the dude. They bring William Satello, a.k.a. Jokes, in for an interrogation. He was studying to be a chef. Um, he's still in high school. He's doing one of those uh, work programs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm out Co-op. of the gang lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out of the lifestyle. I'm not really a part of it anymore. You know, I'm getting my life together. I'm doing this. Um, they told him that his name popped up in relation to a case where the girl gets shot. His car was identified at being on the scene. He just denies it. They don't yeah. really have much to tie to him. They have to let him go. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where it kind of stalls out. Nothing really else is coming up with it. Jamie, the young cousin, she's like mentally. She's worn done. Out. She's cooked. Yeah, she can't do it anymore. She's like, every day that I'm doing this, I just keep, I think about Crystal and trying to be her. And I just reached a point where I couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I handed it over to Belinda and I, I was just done. And so Belinda, Belinda went off her fucking rocker. Yes, she <laughs> did. Should we wait and do that for a second episode? Maybe put our listeners a on a cliff cliffhanger? Yeah. As soon as I watch this part and what she says next, I'm like, fuck yeah, girl. Like, yep, I probably would have done the same shit. Let's set it up. Oh, yeah. So anyway, we will come back next week and talk about the second half of the documentary. But Mandy, I think you actually looked up some info that went along with this gang and the case at the time. So I only want to say one of them because we haven't gotten to the part of the documentary Um that you've discussed yet. So I kind of want to save this for the next episode. Um, But Crystal's boyfriend was also in the car that you had mentioned, Juan. Um, He was also shot. So Crystal's boyfriend at the time of the murder is briefly mentioned when Belinda says that Juan, and it's in quotations, was in the car, but he was not interviewed for the documentary. So otherwise, he's not referenced. In fact, 20-year-old Juan Pat. Patlan, I believe, was the second victim of the shooting, though he, he survived his injuries. When the bullets entered the car, he was hit in the abdomen, and Juan can be seen in the CCTV video with blood on his shirt, holding his stomach. He rushes into the store to ask for help, while Crystal's brother, Justin, holds her by the car. At the I time, missed that all yeah. together. They never talk about it in the Mm-mm. in the doc at all. Nope. And I actually got this info from Screen Rant, and I really like their website because they kind of go back and like give you a little bit more info, I'll dig a little deeper, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, 
At the time they started dating, Crystal had two young daughters from her previous relationship with her husband, but the documentary does not touch on what happened to the children after her death. Crystal had died in the hospital two, uh, two days after being shot in the head. Mm-hmm. So the other information, um, yeah, I want to all touch on after we go over the second part of the doc. Okay. Um. That is interesting, yeah. though. They never mention him mm-hmm. again. There's some other n- cool things that I found that wasn't really interest- um, mentioned in the documentary. Um, yeah, I'm really enjoying I just got the Discovery Plus app or streaming service. So there's a yeah. lot of cool documentaries that I think we may do a couple more of these in the future. Awesome. Yes. Um, it keeps popping up on my Snapchat feed because yeah. I get bored and I scroll through those and I keep seeing all the ads for stuff on oh, there. Yeah. Well, right now we are watching with my son the Kids Baking Championship yep. because it has the cooking channel, the travel channel, HGTV, everything. Oh. And he is obsessed and he wants to bake a cake this weekend. So we're going to go through one of my uh, baking books and he can pick something out and I'll teach him how to make it. He's That's pretty so excited. Fun. Yeah. So it's not just like true crime stuff, which, by the way, there's a lot of true crime and there's ghost hunters and like all the paranormal <laughs> shit that I love. Um, but I'm really excited about it. So I'm, I'm sure that I'll find some more docs in the future that we can kind of do the same thing because I'm really enjoying this. Awesome. I think it'll be fun. Um, did you want to talk a little business? Sure. Um, So we have the website up and running. Uh, We've been slacking a little on the blog department. Myself, Amy is a fantastic writer, so hers are always much better than mine. I like how hers are always – I've written one. There's one. (laughs) There's just one. But I think I will um, do some more coming up soon. We've had some life stuff get in the way, but we are getting back on track. And uh, Yes. Yeah, we're going to have some new fun things coming at you, including – a new show that is in development along with Indelicates as our, like, mother company. We have some other things coming up. So, yeah, working on building our empire. What's up, queen? That's Um. right, CEOs. (laughs) Um, And we just, I just tested out the merch. So I got a sweatshirt that has Indelicates on it. I also got the deadlift shirt that Amy designed and I'm in love with. And I'm giving it to my brand new trainer on Saturday. And I'm super pumped. Like, And he runs the powerhouse <laughs> in the area. So he said he'd wear it to work for me. I'm really That's excited. Amazing. <laughs> yes. To be fair, it's supepposed to look like a bad drawing. Yeah, um, and that's why I love it. To be fair, it's also the best that I could draw. So it is an original <laughs> piece of artwork by yours truly. It's my favorite thing, and I kind of want to put it on everything. Like, I might get socks <laughs> with it on because we can get socks, so I might do that. That would be fantastic. Yes. So we'll have maybe I'll do a workout video with my ridiculous <laughs> deadlift socks on right. or something. Um, so we have the website. We're working on the merch. I wanted to order some stuff and see how the quality is before we actually, like, release it to everybody. But the quality is really good. I'm really good. enjoying it. Um, we talked about our blog. Um, we have the Instagram, which is the Indelicates podcast there. We also have our Facebook. And on the Instagram, uh, you know, besides putting up uh, memes, because I like memes and that's my main form of communication with most of my friends because I'm mm-hmm. sad and lame. Um, we also try to put up pictures having to do with whatever case that we are covering the most recently. Um, if you noticed 
with our last episode about Luis Garavito. We put his picture up, and I am angry to report that he looks in great health and relatively happy in his nice prison in Colombia. Like, he looks like yeah. he's doing just fine. I am so curious to see what happens if he actually gets released this year. Was it t- or, oh, was this year? I thought it was yes. this year or 2023. I couldn't remember which one it was. I know they're trying to keep him in, um, but I haven't seen any credible updates on okay. what's actually happening with him. I can't imagine that even if he gets out, he's going to last long. No, I hope not. I just God, feel, I, hope not. I don't know. He's so awful. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, stay updated with that as more information comes out about what's going on. Or if you know something that's going on, feel yes, free to us drop know. us a line at indelicatespodcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. Or any other case ideas that you may have. We'd love to hear what you guys would like to listen to. Because right now I'm kind of doing mostly stuff for Michigan, only because all my friends are here and they'll be like, oh, did you hear about this? Yeah. No. Now I need to look it up. So I would love to have more info from any of our listeners, friends. Hell, if you can get me on the phone with your grandma or grandpa so I can ask them a bunch of questions about something that happened when they were younger, I would be in heaven. <laughs> I just want to talk to grandparents. <laughs> you are so weird. I know. <laughs> um, I'm going to be doing a little mini-sode. I went to one of the most haunted places in America. It's called the Lemp Mansion. It is a mansion from the 1800s in which most of this family died tragically in the house. It's supposed to be haunted AF. Um, What I found much more interesting than the mansion itself is the series of tunnels that ran under the mansion. The family had a brewery that was very close by. It's, I don't know, maybe a block, block and a half down from the actual mansion that they lived at. And they had tunnels underneath to keep the beer cold. It was like they would pack ice in there. And because it was so thick with so much concrete, it kept it Mm -hmm. really nice and cold. Trucks would come in, deliveries, all of that jazz. And they had tunnels going to underneath the house and their friend's house so that they could just take the tunnel to work in the day. Yeah. And, uh, Later on, the family was like, you know what? It's typical that people would have a ballroom, but instead of doing that for their social structure, they turned the downstairs tunnels underneath them and their neighbor's house into a giant pool, a movie theater, a party room, like what a speakeasy What the hell? Place. That's amazing. It sounded amazing. You can't see that part anymore. The tunnels are blocked off. Um, underneath the old brewery, though, you can still go into those tunnels with the tour that I took. So the tour guide took us down there, and while this case is unsolved, and I'm going to talk more about it when we're actually there, there was a serial killer that would take women down there, and he would keep them for extended periods of time. And then it gets even freaking weirder from there, and I was in something silence, very, very silence of the Lambsy. So I'm going to do a little mini episode and talk about that and get that up soon. Um... We'll come back with part two of Why Did You Kill Me? Mm-hmm. And then soon we're also going to have our little military episode where Mandy is covering Aaron Corwin. And I do want to apologize that that one didn't go up as soon as we liked. Um, I don't know why, but that one was a little harder for me. Maybe because I lived in the area and I could like picture it. Um, and it was really, just so really sad. sad. It, yeah. it is sad because she was just so young. And 
and naive. Um, yeah. So it's just a little more. It took a little more out of me. The other ones that are more gruesome, I think, are a little easier because they don't feel real. This one mm-hmm. felt a little more real. So I do apologize that it hasn't been done as quickly as we would have liked, but it is coming soon. Awesome sauce. And uh, as part two of that, I will be talking about the East Coast. Very similar situation that happened with um, it involved a young female Marine and a coworker, um, something tragic happens, and uh, people are invited to a bonfire in which a, a pregnant woman was corpse was burned underneath while people drank around her. So awesome! Yeah, yay! Yeah. Love in the military. Mm. Not jaded at all. All right. So, <laughs> boys and girls, we will see you soon. Thanks for tuning in and listening to us. Remember, never go to the second location. And uh, stay safe. Yep. Bye. Bye.